Welcome this morning. How are you? How are you feeling? Good? How'd you feel this week? Did you feel valuable? Matthew 10, 31, Jesus, he says, fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. I don't know if that makes you feel valuable or not, just hearing that phrase by itself, comparing, being compared to some sparrows. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. The context there, he was, he was talking about how much he cares about us. And he said, if one sparrow falls to the ground, I know. God knows. And if one sparrow falls to the ground and God knows, don't you think he knows about you? And he goes on and he says, you're of more value than many sparrows. You can be assured this morning that God knows about you, that God cares about you, and that you are valuable. I heard this story this week. I, I watched a video of a, of a man sharing this story. He, uh, he was sharing about a, a, something that happened in his life. He came home from work one day, and his wife said, I think we need to go to Romania. And he's like, what? She says, I saw on the news that they're warehousing these orphans in, they're, they're putting these orphans in warehouses and the special needs ones are just not even taken care of. I think we need to go to Romania and bring a child home. He says, well, we've got two children. We're following the script. But he said they went unscripted. And they went to Romania. And the nurse handed his wife a child. And when she did, she said, don't take this one. He's no good. The man said, let's take him home. They took him home and he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And a lot of times they don't live real long with muscular dystrophy. The thing I've noticed about the, the few individuals I know of with muscular dystrophy, it's amazing how, how content they are. I don't think any of us here have muscular dystrophy that I'm aware of physically. But the, the attitude of these children that have it are something that we, we can learn of. I, I sh I'm going <laughs> to, I need to just keep on with my story and get, get out of your way. Uh, so he, they, they adopted this child, they brought him home, and the coach, as the years went by, the coach of, this of the football team in that school met this young man. And he said, the first time I met him, 
I knew I wanted him on my team. I had a conversation with him, and I knew that I wanted him on my team. And he asked if he would, if his parents, if he could be on their football and their basketball team. He said, "I want him to teach my team two things: maximum effort and a heart for others." Because every time that child needed to move any part of his body, it took everything he had. And in any conversation that you had with him, he would always say three words. And sometimes he would say them before you even said anything else. He would say, I love you too. And the story went on about how he really greatly impacted not only that basketball team, but the entire student body at that school. But remember, don't take this boy. He's no good. The definition that the world puts for good and the definition that God sees as good is different. And in the opening this morning, I just want to encourage you to believe God's definition of what value is. Of what makes someone good. Don't take this boy. He's no good. I wanted to... I think we've spent enough time. I'm just going to read a couple verses in Psalms. I just want to encourage you to know that you are valued. That God loves you and that sometimes maybe people tell you that you're no good. Maybe they don't say those words, but they make you feel like you're no good. But that's a lie. It's simply not true. God loves you. He created you. And there's scripture after scripture that we could go to that speaks of the value of every individual. Verse 14 of Psalms 139, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in your book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet... There was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Fear not. You are of more value than many spirits. Let's go to prayer. Are there any prayer requests that you have this morning? Yes, David. John and Jenny Kenner are with their, his parents this weekend to pray, especially for his mother. <clears throat> Kurt's brother-in-law, Calvin. 
pray for pray for the family of of Calvin as he's probably in his last week of life. Just summarize that as praying for for Haiti as the earthquake hit and, and also thankful for the contributions of the for the Sunday meals in Haiti with Cephas and Hannah. Jenny. Uh, Melissa Brock's mother passed away. Melissa Brock's mother passed away. All right. Let's kneel in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts, thankful for your great love that you love us with. Lord, we thank you that you care about us. Lord, we just thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us and to provide a life that we had no hope of having. For eternal life, Father, thank you for the blood that was shed and the freedom that that blood brings to us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to gather in your house with your people, with people who love you, who want to live for you, serve you. And Lord, I just pray that this morning would be a time of fellowship and encouragement, and Lord, as we go into the, the service, that you would just open our hearts to receive your words. It would bring conviction and, and encouragement and change in our lives. Lord, I pray for Brother Mark as he brings a message that you would just calm his thoughts, <clears throat> direct his thoughts and his words that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you for each person who's here. Lord, I just pray that we would go out this week uh, just with passion and excitement to live, that we would know that we are loved, that we are valued, that we would just care care for those around us. 
Lord, we pray for these the prayer requests that, that we had before us this morning, Lord. <clears throat> there's, there's many who are sick and those who have families who are, have individuals either passing or who have passed. And Lord, I just pray that you would be their comfort and their strength in those times. Lord, I pray for the people of Haiti and the areas that are, again, just wrecked by, by the earthquake. Lord, I just pray for, for, for healing for them, but ultimately for their healing spiritually for their country and just for the, that your spirit would be present there and would just be mighty, that they would turn to you and their need. Pray you would bless our time together. May we honor you. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, for any of you that don't know, we have Brother Mark and Teresa Andrews with us from, they're from Missouri, Grandview Congregation, and uh, he almost didn't make it yesterday, had a lot of flight trouble, but they did make it. We're thankful to have them here with us. Thanks, Brother Clem. I told Clem before the service, I think next time we come out, we'll just take a wagon train. Probably be less trouble. <laughs> what a blessing it would be that we would all find God's value of us in how others value us. It's not always that way, is it? I really appreciate Clem's opening. The, uh, his opening did remind me of uh, a situation there at home. We have a brother who somehow got in his head that he wanted to capture some snapping turtles. You'll have to ask him why. But he said he had heard that in order to capture snapping turtles, one of the best baits was sparrows. And so he was 
trying to capture sparrows and put them in his freezer and then he would catch snapping turtles with them. And so periodically I'll check in with him to see how many sparrows he has in his freezer, to see how many snapping turtles he's gonna catch with, with these. And if you wanna give him a hard time, his name is Lonnie. Turn with me to Matthew. I'm gonna kind of do a, not a survey of Matthew specifically. That's not really the point of the message this morning. To do an entire uh, survey of Matthew. But I wanna look at something if I would title this this morning for lack of a better title, I would title this, it's complicated. It's complicated. I want to begin uh, looking at the 16th chapter, in the 16th chapter of Matthew. And all of these are things that Jesus has said, teachings that he was trying to get points across in. In the 16th chapter, he talks about a situation that we find really prevalent in our world today. In fact, I would doubt that there's a single person in this audience this morning who hasn't been touched by this situation um, in one way or another. It's in our families, it's in our friend group, it's in various groups that we might be associated with. In the 18th chapter, in the 18th verse of the 16th chapter, Jesus says, I'm sorry, this is Luke, not Matthew. Luke, sorry, go over one chapter. If you can't find it, it's somewhere between Zephaniah and Ephesians. You're, you're welcome for the help. In Luke, the 16th chapter, verse 18, Jesus says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Now, this is a pretty straightforward teaching of Christ, right? And, and I'm thankful that we look at this in a fairly clear-eyed manner, but that's not really the way that we always approach this. And one of the things that happens is that in these relationships between people, a man and wife and so forth, and I know that marriage has been expanded to all sorts of different things, and I'm sure there will be another expansion in the future uh, in our country as if the Lord tarries. But we're just going to take the biblical definition as we understand it of marriage, and that's uh, a union between a man and a woman uh, for life. And God had a specific purpose in that, but I don't want to go there. What I want to do this morning is simply look at this, because we, if we go to this situation of a relationship between a man and a woman, and things get crossways sometimes. If you don't believe it, just get married, and you'll soon find out that sometimes things go south, and, and relationships are difficult, right? And so we get into these situations, and the more, the closer we are to these situations, to these events, to these circumstances, the more we realize that it's complicated. It's very complicated. Relationships between people are complicated, and there's probably no more complicated relationship that we can endure or enjoy than marriage, right? And so when a marriage begins to go south, that's one of the things we say, it's complicated. What's the problem between you and your wife? Well, it's complicated. And, and we tend to transpose it's complicated from the problem to the solution. 
Because if the problem is complicated, then the solution is also complicated, right? I mean, that's the way I look at it. That's probably the way you look at it. The problem is that we're looking at it wrong, I believe, because when Jesus said, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery, that's pretty simple, actually. The problem is that the things that we look at is complicated, the situation is complicated, but the fact is and the principle is not so complicated. It's difficult. That's the problem. We conflate complicated and difficult when in reality the principle is not complicated. Jesus said that in relationships between a husband and a wife, we have a responsibility. There is fidelity is one of those things that is unto you I will cleave for life. That's fidelity. I will not stray. I will not go astray from you. That is a promise that we make in our marriages. But when things get complicated, it, things get hard. They get difficult. And because it gets difficult, when we think of the solutions, we go to counselors, we talk to friends, we might pray about it, whatever. But the fact of the matter is that the principle upon which marriage is founded is not difficult. It's not complex. It's very simply, we have a vow of fidelity to one another as a husband and wife. And so just because it engages two complex people with all of their histories and personalities and fears and hang-ups and hopes and expectation, it doesn't mean that because the relationship is complex that the solution to our problems is also complex. Because the solution to our problems is to believe what God says is the case and just because it's complex doesn't mean that it's not difficult, but it does mean that the solution sometimes comes at the expense of us giving up that which we can use as an excuse. Well, it's complex. It's complicated. And we have to go back to the principle. What is the principle? Why did God put a man and a woman together? We have that in the Genesis. The Genesis says that God saw that it was not good for a man to be alone, and so he made a help meet for him. And that was the woman. And then all hell broke loose. Right? Literally all hell broke loose because Satan came and tempted the woman and gave them both these things that we have to deal with today. And that's what makes it complicated and that's what makes it difficult. But the fact is that the principle is very simple. And if we would apply those principles and be determined to follow those principles, things might not be quite so complicated and quite so difficult. People make excuses for failing marriage when they say it's complicated. The relationship is complicated. The principle upon which God bases marriage is not complicated at all. I want to go now to the 14th chapter of Luke. Same book, go back a couple chapters. 14th chapter of Luke. I want to begin reading at verse 7. And he put forth a parable to these which were bidden when he had marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, 
that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever shall exalteth him, he, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And you know, we, when, because we like to be, our natural man likes to be seen of people, we like to be exalted, we like to have the higher rooms that Jesus was talking about. And take and keep in mind, he's observing this happening. He sees this happening. And their weddings were a little bit different than ours. But still, the, the principle that's found here is the same. And that is that we need to look at ourselves in a realistic and humble way, recognizing who we are before God and all of the things that God has forgiven us and see ourselves in a realistic way. And Jesus says when you're going somewhere, don't seek to be exalted. He said realize who you are and sit in the lowest spot. Take the spot of the least amount of honor. And if somebody wants to honor you, that's up to them. But don't take it upon yourself to do that because it shows just really what is in your heart. We say, well, you know, this is a complex matter. You know, we have social norms. Uh, there's customs and expectations and even regulations in some places. And there's also, though, a scriptural principle, and that scriptural principle is have realistic humility and a view of yourself, which in the eyes of God is of great value. Because we as humans have a natural tendency to go against that principle and try to elevate ourselves. Just a few things that Jesus taught that might help us in the long run be a real servant of God. Go back again to a couple of chapters to the 12th uh, chapter in the first verse. Luke 12, 1. He says, in the mean, or Luke wrote, in the meantime... When there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now here's an area in which we get into often because... we find that the Christian life is difficult. And so we again conflate difficulty with complexity. Difficulty and complexity are not the same thing. But areas of the Christian life are difficult. And not being a hypocrite sometimes is difficult. And I don't know what your particular pro proclivity is in the areas you struggle in your Christian life not to be a hypocrite in, but I know that for a fact that we all have them because I know that we all have human nature. And we're all born into sin. And we all struggle with sin in one form or another. And your struggle may not be and probably isn't the same as mine. But we all have those struggles. And we begin to, again, conflate difficulty and complexity. The Christian life is not complex. The Christian life is difficult. The principles upon which we are to build our lives are not complex, but they are difficult to follow through on. When Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, we know what he meant, because the scripture makes it pretty clear. The leaven of the Pharisees, he said, is hypocrisy. That is, they didn't really believe, or they didn't really practice, nor believe what they preached. They didn't actually believe it, 
but they saw some kind of value in it because it made them seem righteous. And isn't that what hypocrisy really is? We preach about a, a righteousness because we want to be seen as righteous. Everybody wants to be seen as good, as moral. Almost everybody. There are exceptions, obviously, to that rule. So we, we pretend to be moral. We pretend to be righteous. We pretend to have all of these qualities. But in reality, we aren't. And the reasons that we don't always show these things is because of our human nature. And we struggle with it. And we make excuses to ourselves. And we say, it's complex. The reason I did this is complex. You know, I had all of these pressures bearing down upon me. And the fact of the matter is that, again, we conflate complexity with difficulty. It's difficult, but it's not necessarily complex. When we really look at our motivations for something, we'll find that they're not really all that complex. When we really actually look into our hearts and minds and see why we engage in some kind of hypocrisy or another, we can find at the very root of it selfishness of, of some form or another. But it's not really that complex. It's just difficult. If you go back to the 14th chapter of Luke again, I want to read verses 12 through 14. Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then said he also to them, or to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner for, or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Here again, we look at this and we say, well, you know, I have my circle of friends, I have the church people, I have, you know, whatever groups I belong to, and these are the circles in which I circulate. These are the groups in which I, with whom I associate. And it's just natural for us that when we uh, Jesus gives the example here uh, of inviting someone for fellowship, for a meal, or whatever it might be. And that's very natural for all of us, right? When we think of throwing a dinner, how many of you think of going out and finding uh, complete strangers who are down on their luck, so to speak, uh, to invite them to dinner? And Jesus, uh, this is, again, don't limit this to just making dinner. Jesus is making a point about this. And he's saying to us, it's very comfortable for us to have these circles of friends and groups of people with whom we associate. But the, the real value that we find in fellowship and, 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 and affiliation and association with people has to do as much with us as it does with them. That is, these are groups of people with whom we find affirmation. These are groups of people who make us feel good. These are people, groups of people who make us feel valued. And it's all about us. And I think in this, Jesus is saying that we need to look at other groups of people, find the value in them because God values them and, and make it about them and not about us. And we say, well, you know, it's complex. We have all these circles of people and there's only so many hours in a day and blah, 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 and it's complex. No, it's not complex. It's difficult, right? How many of us want to go out into the highways and byways and invite them to come in? See, it's not complex. It's difficult. Don't conflate the two. And we often make, mis make excuses for ourselves because something is difficult. Can you give me some more examples? Go to the 12th chapter of Luke again. I want to read verses 8 and 9. Luke 12, verses 8 and 9. 
Jesus says, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Yesterday, as we traveled, we met lots of people. We were in airports uh, here and there. We, we, we were in contact with a lot of people. We did a lot of sitting around. We were in, air, in an airplane sitting next to people and so forth. And all of us are in those situations. We're in crowds of people who are complete strangers. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their background is. We don't know the, what their religious affiliation might or might not be or if they have any. Uh, we don't know anything about them. We don't know if their background. They might be a, a, a serial murderer or they might be a sister to, to you know, um, Sister Teresa. Who knows who they are? What we, what we do know is that they are created by God. And Jesus, in teaching these, um, these things to his disciples, he said, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men... Now, we, when, when we think of that, we think of a situation in which, we are, are, in which our uh, relationship with Christ is called into question, right? When somebody asks us about Jesus, when somebody wants to discuss religious things with us, when somebody wants to talk about spiritual things, whosoever shall confess me before men. But the fact of the matter is that there are those situations which exist, but there are also situations in which we may never see a word or say a word to anyone, when they simply observe who we are, what our reaction is to situations. You know, there were some real frustrations yesterday as we traveled, and it's, it, would, it would be very easy for us to begin to gripe and complain and moan and, and, and blame things on people and so forth. It's, it's much more difficult uh, to remain kind and gracious to those who really didn't have anything to do with what our problems were. But you get grumpy, you don't feel good, uh, you get exasperated and so forth, and it's easy then uh, to become what you naturally are, human. Jesus is saying here, Whosoever shall confess me before men, then shall the Son of God also confess, or the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God, but he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Regardless of what the situation is, do we stand up and say, Yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. We think of persecution, and that's, the, that's the, really the top of the bar. But what about those just everyday situations in which we find ourselves, in which we're exasperated or challenged in some way? Do we still confess Christ before men? God help us and give us the, uh, the ability and control to be able to do that. But in many of these situations, again, we say it's complicated. It's complicated. You know, we don't know this person's background, and so we don't know the best thing to say. Or, or, I'm not an outgoing person, and so it doesn't come natural to me to strike up a conversation and say, Hey, do you know Jesus? The fact of the matter is that, it, it, that the focus is not so much on, on the other person, it's on us. Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, there's a principle here. And the principle is that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed of him regardless of the circumstance. Whether it's high anxiety, very calm, whether somebody comes to you or whether you're called into question in a court of law. The fact of the matter is that in each of those situations, the principle is you are a believer in Christ. You've been called out of the world. You've been called into salvation. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. You've been empowered. And all of these things add up to you should not be ashamed of Jesus if you are truly a believer in him. And so regardless of the situation, don't say it's complex and therefore I kept my mouth shut. It's complex and therefore I hid my light under a bushel. It's not complex. It's difficult. 
Again, don't conflate the two. Complexity and difficulty are not the same thing. It's difficult, and why is it difficult to open our mouth when, we, when it would be easier to remain silent? It's difficult because we care what people think about us. It's difficult because we're afraid of the consequences. It's difficult because we may not know how to handle what the result of our opening our mouth is. And so we remain silent when we should speak. It's complex. No, it's not complex. The principle is, you're a child of Christ. Shine your light. But it's difficult because we have to overcome that natural tendency at times. Okay, now let's go to Matthew 18. Anybody know what's in Matthew 18? Matthew 18. And I'll just read verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother, and so forth and so on. We all know it. We've heard it read lots and lots of times. Now we get into these situations, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our churches, whether it's in our uh, work organization, whatever it might be, with our neighbor, you know. I used to have a neighbor. Oh, well, I still do have a neighbor, same neighbor. Uh, they ran cattle in the field next to our, to our house. And the fence over time had gotten pretty decrepit, and the cattle discovered the decrepancy of the fence and saw that the grass was greener on my side of the fence than it was on their own. And after a good rain in Missouri, the ground gets pretty soft, and big cows make big deep holes as they run through your lawn in pursuit of that green grass. And I was tried to be polite, and they also leave behind fertilizer, which is neither here nor there. But I just called my neighbor and said, hey, you know, your cows are getting out, and and uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of watching that. And his response to me was, "Then you should fix the fence." And my immediate thought was, "They're not my cows. Fix the fence so they won't come over here." I didn't say that. And I got to thinking about it, and I said, "You know, he's right. Half of that fence is my responsibility. That's just kind of how it goes in Missouri, and probably the same way in Ohio, right? He's right. Half the fence is my responsibility, and I haven't maintained it because I don't have cows." And if, my, if, if I did have cows, I'd maintain the fence. But the fact of the matter is, I shut up, I hung up, and I went out and I fixed half the fence. And then I called him and said, hey, I fixed half the fence. I'd appreciate it if you'd fix your half so your cows wouldn't get over and fertilize my lawn anymore. And sure enough, he came and fixed the fence. Oh. I could have escalated that conflict. I could have called the sheriff and said, go to my neighbor and tell him to keep his cows on his own side of the road or his own side of the fence. But the fact of the matter is that when you take a little responsibility for yourself, you find that the principles that are found in scripture actually have some kind of benefit for you as well as others. And that is it helps you keep out of conflict. But let's say there is a situation in which you find yourself in a conflict and you have been hurt in some way. That's what conflict does, right? It hurts people. And so you have now an opportunity. You have an opportunity uh, to find complexity in the situation. You know, if so-and-so hadn't done such-and-such, and if they hadn't said such-and-such, -such, or if they didn't take such an attitude, or if after they had apologized, their attitude would have been better, you know, things could be different. But the problem is that so-and-so isn't doing such-and-such. -and, -such. and so therefore, I, blah, 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 complexity reigns. It's not complex. Forgiveness is difficult. That's the problem. It's not because it's complex. It's not because the relationships of people bringing their hurts and pasts and experiences and fears and hopes and dreams and desires which are dashed upon the doors of reality at our doorstep 
It's not because they're not complex. It's because they're hard. And that's why there's so much teachings from Jesus saying these kinds of things. He taught about them because he was laying down principles upon which we must build our lives and our relationships with other people. Have you ever noticed how many of the things that Jesus taught about were relationship-oriented? Now, we talk about them from a moral standpoint, and they are. They are moralities. They're moral principles upon which we are to build a foundation for our relationships with other people. Whether it's the government, whether it's authorities, whether it's our neighbor, our wives, our children, our brothers and sisters in the faith, whatever it is. And the principle of forgiveness is not difficult, it's hard. When Jesus said, you know, forgive, he said when he taught in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. I think he was trying to drive home the point that, you know what, there may just come a time when you need to be forgiven of something. In fact, that is true of all of us. There does come a time when we need to be forgiven of something. We need to be forgiven of our humanity, which has caused us to fail in the sight of God. And even if we don't ever, ever, ever trample anyone else's rights or hurt anyone else's feelings, we sin before God in our hearts and minds. We sin before God in our actions. And we need to be forgiven of God. And so Jesus said, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. The principle is very simple. The situations are complex, and the resolution is hard. It's difficult. Why is it hard? Because we have to overcome our natural tendency to be self-focused. Matthew 16. Verses 24 and 25, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Man, this is getting kind of personal. You know, I'm beginning to resent this. Jesus is calling us to do a lot of stuff that is really complex. No, they're really difficult, actually. I, um... I wonder how many of us would say of things that we are passionate about, I give my divided attention to this. I give this half of my energy when I do this. When I play ball or when I go hunting or when I, whatever it is, whatever thing that really interests you, when I garden, I give it half of my interest and half of my energy and half of my attention usually the things that we are really, really interested in, we go at whole hog, right? And some of us go whole hog for a few days or a few months, and then we turn our attention to something else. That's those of us who have ADD. The rest of us might find something that really engages us for years. But you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying to us, if you're going to come after me, and if you're going to do my will, and you're going to call yourself a Christian, you can't give it half your heart. You can't give it half your attention. You can't give it half your intention. You can't give it half of anything. 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. We are very, very self-preservation oriented. We think about self first. We think about saving whatever it is that we want to have, whether it's our reputation, our money, uh, you know, our belongings, whatever that is, our relationships. We think about self, and we and and. and I guess naturally so. God put a self-preservation instinct in us. But what Jesus is calling us to is to understand that there is something better and higher and bigger and more uh, important than ourselves. And that is him and our relationship with him. And it is our God. And he's saying, if you're going to follow after me, one of the principles that you're going to have to follow is self-denial. And that's not what our society teaches today, is it? Self-denial. You know, on all the social media, they teach self-denial, don't they? They don't show the glamorous and the fun. Well, actually, they do. You know, Insta garbage, face baloney, and all those, all those sites show all the things that are wonderful and how, what a great life everybody has and how wonderful life is. And then every once in a while, you'll see a headline about one of these influencers on Insta garbage who have just taken their life at 19 years old. I've seen that several times recently. Why? I mean, you, their life was great. The fact is that there wasn't anything more important outside of themselves. And so when they came to the end of their, themselves, there wasn't really a reason to continue to live. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Ah, oh, there's a principle for you. Denial of self. It's become a lost art pretty much in our world today in our country, in, in, even in much of the world. Denial of self. So many times you'll see advertisements that say something along the lines of, you deserve it. You know, you need this product. In fact, you more than need it. You deserve this product. You're worth it. And of course, we are. And I think I will. Thank you very much. But how often do we think of denying ourselves, not because we can't afford it, but we, because we simply don't need it. How many times do we deny ourselves because we know that even though it's not lawful for us or unlawful for us, as Jesus talked about, it's not unlawful, but it isn't profitable. There's a concept, there's a principle for you. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, not all things are profitable. The reason they're not profitable is because they get in the way of our walk with the Lord. And when they get in the way of our walk with the Lord, they are therefore not profitable because we have to deny ourselves sometime and take up our cross and follow Christ. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake. So many times these principles are counterintuitive and they don't tell us what we like to hear. And therefore, we make excuses and we say, well, you know, it's complicated. I was in this situation and I, I know that, you know, Jesus said I need to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. But, you know, it's so difficult. I mean, I've got all these things that I need to, to take into consideration. Again, the, prob- the, the, the principle is not complex. Following the principle is difficult. In the 13th chapter of Luke Verses 6 and 7. 
Luke 13, verses 6 and 7. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Verse 8 says, And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig it about and dung it, and it shall bear fruit. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that shalt thou cut it down. Here's a principle. It's in Scripture. Jesus is pretty clear about this. When we follow him, he expects us to bear fruit. Bear fruit in our personal life. Bear fruit in our social life. Bear fruit in our spiritual life. Bear fruit in our families. Bear fruit in our communities. Bear fruit in our, in our churches, in our congregations, in our brotherhood, in our relationship with God. Bear fruit. And Jesus, in speaking this, gives us a lot of hope. Because here's the blessing. And we talked about all these negative aspects and about how we often make excuses and compli about complications. But Jesus, in speaking this parable, I think, gives us a picture of the, of the mind of Christ. Because the husbandman, a certain man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, I believe, is God. And he came and he sought fruit. And that's our relationship with God. He looks at us. And he says, I need you to bear fruit for me. You're in my garden. I need you to bear fruit for me. And he comes and he finds no fruit thereon. And Jesus says, God expects fruit. He expects us to live these principles. He expects us to understand and inculcate these principles into our thinking and into our worldview so that we actually are fruitful. And why? Because he loves people. And he expects us, that, and, and, the, and the fruit that we bear, he expects that fruit to bring others to, to him, to encourage them so that they might see their father and the value that they have in him. And he comes to the dresser of his vineyard and says, I, three years, I came looking for fruit on this fig tree and I didn't find any. So it's taking up space and it's not doing anything. This is a vineyard. This is a, a, an orchard. It's a place where I expect fruit to be born. And this thing is just taking up space. Cut it down. Because it's just encumbering the garden, encumbering the ground. It's taking fruit and, or uh, uh, water and nutrients that other things could use. And here is Jesus. He answering, the dresser of his vineyard, answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig it about and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And here's the blessing. You come, when you come to church and listen, when you read the word, when you encounter the beauty that God created, when you hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, your spirit is being dug about and fertilized. God is giving you what you need to mature and reach the fruiting stage and that all this teaching is to bring about in your life. Sometimes it's not all fun and games this life of being a Christian. It's not all fun and games because we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. It means that we have to give up uh, some aspects or beliefs or uh, even lies that we tell ourselves. And, and we have to not only give them up, but we have to change our way of doing, our way of thinking. And it isn't always comfortable and sometimes it's just flat hard. But the fact of the matter is that God intends to bless. And this is the blessing. 
that we're not condemned the first time we make a mistake. God gives us these blessings, this opportunity that we have this morning to sit and study from his word. The times that we can go out, I looked out the window this morning and toward the east it was a beautiful sunrise. The, 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 the sky was painted some beautiful colors we like to capture on canvas or on uh, photo prints because of the beauty, the natural beauty of the earth around us. You see lots of landscapes uh, in pictures and, and paintings. The reason for that is God built beauty into the earth. And I believe one of the reasons he did that is because the beauty of the earth points us to him. It's not about us, it's about him. And when we have that still small voice on a morning like uh, this morning when we walk outside and the air is still and it's cool and it's quiet and there's smells that remind you of things that happened many, many years ago, uh, people that you have appreciated and enjoyed, perhaps a grandparent or, or, or someone else uh, that may no longer be here. And, and, and these things are, are a reminder of the blessing that God gives. I believe that those are the, the gardener digging about and dunging so that you might bear fruit for him. The, 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 the fertility that God gives to us by the reading of his word bears fruit for him ultimately. The opportunity we have to be encouraged by a brother or sister in the faith is, is the gardener digging about and dunging, giving us fertilizer that we might ultimately reach a stage where we bear fruit for him. What an opportunity we have to come and sit in with, with folks that love the Lord and, and be encouraged by reading and studying the word together and hearing the word preached. What a blessing that is. God doesn't condemn instantly. You know, there was a time when Jesus and his uh, disciples encountered a fig tree, right? And as they were walking past, Jesus, it says, walked up to it seeking fruit. And there was no fruit on it. And he, and, and, and he cursed the fig tree because it wasn't bearing fruit. And the next time they came past, that fig tree was dead. There were no leaves, no fruit, no nothing. Just a dead tree. And the disciples marveled at what Jesus had done. And my understanding was that it wasn't even the normal time for figs to be on the tree that Jesus could consume. But I believe that he had a message for his apostles in that. And it's a message for us as well. And that is that our Father in heaven expects us to bear fruit, and it's not about us. And just because situations in life are, diff are, are complicated uh, doesn't mean that we need to use complication as an excuse. Let's just acknowledge that certain things in life are hard, okay? Certain things are hard. They're difficult. This life is not a, 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 a... We don't have a promise from God that we're not going to face difficult situations. But the fact is that if we will take the principles that Jesus taught, and we just hit the highlights this morning, but if we'll take these principles and apply them in a very realistic and real way in our lives, we, have, we are armed with that which can help us through these difficult situations when we can see clearly uh, what we should do. doesn't make it any easier sometimes to do it, but when we know what the end goal is, what the game is, when we know what the purpose is that God gives us, uh, in all of these situations, it will make it much easier to, to get over ourselves and to get to the end that Jesus is calling us to, bearing fruit for him. Whether it's, being, uh, whether it's forgiving, whether it's opening our mouths when we should open our mouths uh, to lead someone to him, uh, regardless of what it is, in all of these situations, God gives us uh, principles which are uncomplicated, which are straightforward, which we can use as the blessing that God intends as he digs about us and fertilizes our lives so that we can bear fruit for him. 
So next time you think about something and you don't know what direction to go and you don't know what to say or whether to say anything, think about this. Yes, it may be complicated, but in reality, don't use that as an excuse. It's difficult. We understand that it's difficult. It's difficult because of who we are, but it's easier because of who we are in Christ. Let us use that opportunity that God gives us by his blessing, his presence, his Holy Spirit, his word, his teaching to be fertilized that will bring forth fruit for him in each situation, each complex situation that we find ourselves in. And don't say, you know, it's complicated. I can't do this. Acknowledge this is difficult, but with God and with the help of my fellow believers in Christ, this too can be accomplished for him. God doesn't call us to anything that's impossible. If it's impossible for us, we have to remember it's not impossible with God. We can forgive. We can speak when we ought to speak. We can see ourselves in a realistic light. We can humble ourselves before man and before God. It can be done. It can be done. Yes, it's hard. And yes, they're difficult or, or complex situations. But with God, nothing is impossible. Let's keep that in mind. And may we go encouraged by the word today to do and to be who and what we ought to be. We ask that in Christ's name. What should we sing? <laughs>